urban planting. I don't know about you, but you know, this time of the year, been planting, putting in some flowers. With all the storms, we've been had some trees put in. They're really starting to, to take hold and starting to grow. And I, and I look at all this, and I just marvel. I mean, it's amazing to watch. Just things grow. And I think, how, do, how did all this happen? I mean, I, I know God created it, but, but how? And how did he do all of that out of nothing? I mean, I don't think we can get our minds around nothing. You know, like, Nothing, there was nothing, and then there was all this. How did that happen? It's one of my favorite mysteries of, of God. Now, now, humans have spent, you know, millenniums trying to figure all this out. And the beauty of, of humans is what? We got to know, and we got to be what? Right, yeah, Exactly. So when it comes to this, you know, we, we, we got to try to understand, and then, then we got to make sure that everybody agrees with our position. And, and we start arguing, and, and, and we get into these huge, gigantic disagreements, even amongst Christians. How long is a day? Did he do it in six days and a 24-hour clock, even though there was no sun at that time? And how was there light without a sun? And I don't understand. And then, and then really, do, do we have all the record of all the humans. Do we actually know how old the earth is? And, and we get in all this. And if it, doesn't, if it isn't the way I said it is, then the Bible's a lie. If you don't agree with me, you're denying the truth of the Bible. No, ma'am, I'm just denying the truth of your understanding. Maybe it's what they call a mystery. Well, we got another one today. We're wrapping up this section that we've been on, well, really, for quite a while, 9 through 11 in Romans. We're wrapping up the most recent section from uh, verse 25 to the end of chapter 11. So if you'll turn with me to page 947, chapter 11 of Romans, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And to him be glory forever. Amen. Paul's wrapping up his discussion. Well, really the discussion has been going on since 9, 10, and 11, what we can easily call the, the kind of the Jewish problem of how are the Jews, the people of God, rejecting Jesus Christ? And Paul's explaining that. And then this most recent section, he's really explaining the, the micro plan of salvation of God. And it all started in verse 25, where he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. And what he's saying is, you're not going to understand this. It's a mystery. So don't try to understand it. He's telling us, in this, we feel essentially to the Gentiles, because the Gentiles are going to say, look at us, look at you Jews. But it has truth beyond that. See, sometimes we can't live with mystery. We just can't deal with that. So we have to explain it. And again, we have to be right. 
I, I, in studying this, I, there was a, there's a well-known prophecy pastor who, who saying, people that say that, that we can't explain all the prophecies, they're just wrong and they don't know Jesus Christ because you should know. And he quotes 25 and he just happens to leave out the first part. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. And he has that saying, then you should understand all the mysteries of God. When in the beginning of it, it says, least you be wise in your own sight, least you try to understand you're not going to. And then the whole rest of today's passage is about that. Now, what's a mystery? Well, in the Bible, really, there's two kinds of mysteries. There's one, there's a mystery of something that's been, that we could understand, but it's hidden from us. It's hidden in God or in Jesus Christ. And it just isn't made available to us, but we could understand it. And then the second one is something we're just unable to understand. We're finite minds. God is infinite. We are not going to understand fully the mind of God. And in today's section, salvation is really has both those mysteries, but today's section is really speaking to the latter, this amazing aspect of God that we just can't understand. Now, in, as we start in 33, as we look closer, Paul's just gone through this explanation of how the Jews are going to be hardened and that lets the Gentiles in and then when the time is right, the Jews are going to come to faith and we don't understand how that works and he says it's this great mystery. And then in 33, in this close, he just kind of goes off as Paul is wont to do. As Paul explains something, he just starts thinking about God and he just, he gives these unbelievable doxologies or hymns that are seen in different ways about God. And they're so powerful. We see them in Philippians. We see it in Ephesians. Where he just, and that's what he's doing here. He's just overwhelmed by the amazing greatness of God. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, if you got an NIV, it says slightly different. What this means, what it says here is the depth of riches, depth of wisdom, depth of knowledge. If you're reading an NIV right now, you're going, wait a minute, that's not what mine says. NIV sees it as the depth of riches, which are the wisdom and knowledge of God. Grammatically, either could be. Historically, ESV is taking the more historic way of understanding it. So that's what we're going to use. So what he's saying is, is, the depth of riches. And riches, in, when we're talking about God, it's talking about infinite resources. But here particularly, as we've seen in just the last few weeks, he's talking about the grace and mercy of God. The depth of the grace and mercy of God. I mean, think about this. The Gentiles who have not, I mean, they don't even know God. They don't care about God. It's just poor. And he makes a way for them to come in and be a part of his kingdom, part of his family. And the Jews who have rejected God, rejected God's way, has abused the relationship going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and are rejecting Jesus Christ. He still doesn't reject him because of his great mercy. And look at Tom Wigan who rejected God through his teens and his 20s and most of his 30s and had no time for Jesus Christ and no time for God and was an affront to God. And yet he had mercy and grace enough to draw Tom Wigan to himself and to, to salvation. 
It goes on, the depth of his wisdom. The only true source of wisdom we've said over and over is God. The New Testament sees the, the ultimate revelation of wisdom through Jesus Christ. And you say, what about worldly wisdom? Well, there is worldly wisdom, but it is of no value. It's going to pass away. In fact, often worldly wisdom is, is opposed to godly wisdom. We're going to see that over the next couple of weeks as we go into chapter 12 of Romans. And yet we cling so, so desperately. We seek worldly wisdom all the time. We read books that tell us how to be better people, smarter people, whatever, wiser people based on the world's standard. And yet God has this fountain of wisdom available to us if we'll tap into it. And then the depth of his knowledge. God knows everything and that's all part of his wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom are, are linked together. They aren't exactly the same, but they're closely related. And because of his unsurpassed knowledge, he has a level of wisdom that we're never going to fully understand, but is available to us. And to emphasize all that, he, he says, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Unsearchable, unable to clearly understand, inscrutable, impossible to interpret. So basically, his judgments, we cannot clearly understand. His ways are hard to interpret for us. And judgments, we're not talking about judging us. We're talking about his decisions. Why did he decide to do it? Why did he decide to do this way? Why did he decide to make Jesus Christ go to the cross for us? Why does he do this? We can't grasp that, but we can know he has done it. Then he goes on, quotes two Old Testament verses. First in 34, just to expand this whole idea of the greatness of God and, and how we can't fully understand and can't fully interpret. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? It's from Isaiah 40, 30, uh, 13. And Isaiah is talking about the greatness of God when he brings the exiles out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. And the great wisdom and the great mercy and of God to do this, what's called the second exodus, that he's done this. They fully deserve to go to exile. In fact, they deserved, if I remember our study on Jeremiah, they deserved far worse than what they got. Yet because of his grace and mercy, he brings them back. I think we have all can relate to that. And then in Job in 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Has anyone done anything for God that God owes him something? You know the story of Job. Job, most righteous person on earth. And God allowed God's sovereign to him by Satan. And, and it's an interesting look at God's sovereignty. How within God's sovereign world, bad things can happen. God isn't doing it, but in his total sovereignty, yeah. And Job wants to know why this is happening. And as he progresses, his friends all use the traditional way of understanding things. And, and Job rejects that and says, no, I want God to come down here and explain to me, Job, why this is happening. 
And God comes and tells Job, you ain't going to understand no matter what I say. That's my paraphrase. (laughs) Job felt God owed him an explanation. But he kind of missed the big picture. I mean, it's like, okay, you're a parent. You got a two-year-old. You're going to put him in the car seat. The two-year-old has obtained an incredible ability to communicate and says, wait a minute, I'm not going to that car seat till you fully explain to me why I have to, and don't tell me about this whole safety bit. It's got to be better than that. And you're going, you're a two-year-old. Get in that seat. You're never going to fully understand. I don't care. You have to explain it to my satisfaction, mom or dad, or I ain't doing it. Sound vaguely familiar? Why is God doing this? We can't fully comprehend. That doesn't mean we can't comprehend at all. We can't fully grasp it. It's like missing the, the big picture because of the details. I got to tell you, you know, growing up, Speaking of safety, my dad, my dad, uh, well, we had to have car seats before there were car seats, okay? We had to have seat belts. Nobody in town, nobody in Albert Lee had a car with seat belts, and the Wigan family did. He would get seat belts first in the front seat before they were standard, and then when they were standard, he'd get seat belts in the back seat. And he wouldn't buy a car if seat belts weren't an option for the back seat. And we had to buckle up. We were the only family in Albert Lee, Minnesota, that drove around with everybody buckled up. Now, you may say, looking back, oh, how wise was he? Yeah, you be 12-year-old, have your friends come over, and you're giving them right home, and you turn to them and say, buckle up, and they go, buckle What? It's a seatbelt. I've never heard of it. I've never seen it before. And this is the stupidest thing. Well, my dad ain't going to drive this car unless you buckle that seatbelt. It was so embarrassing. (laughs) And it's worse, go on a date. (laughs) We can't go there. problem was, in all my dad's safety consciousness, and he was very safety conscious, in everything he did to try to be safe, he still smoked two packs of unfiltered cigarettes every day of his life. Every day that he made us buckle his seatbelt, as he buckled his seatbelt, first thing he'd do in that car is light up a cigarette. He died in his 50s because he missed the big picture. He missed what was so obviously in his face that he was killing himself every day through smoking cigarettes that no seatbelt could save him from. Sometimes it's like that with parents. 
know, parents will, will intensely argue about some aspect of raising their child. They'll want to do this, uh, that one will want to do it this way, and one will want to do it this way, and they're arguing because they think that's the right way, and in the argument, they've done more damage to their child than anything that they're arguing about. And they miss that picture. That the unity of the parent is more important than whatever it is that you're arguing about. And it can be that way with salvation. We can get so focused on how salvation works, either from the macro standpoint or the individual standpoint, that we miss the depth and awesomeness of God's mercy. Macro standpoint, people have been arguing for centuries about how it works. Even this passage, is 9 through 11, has been the source of endless argument. Does God choose who saved uh, election, Calvinism, Reformed theology, or does man choose God first? Arminianism or, or goes by a number of other terms. In other words, does a person come to faith and turn to God, or does God cause them to have faith and they turn to God? And the reason the debate rages on so much is that the Bible seems to teach both. But humans struggle with that. It's got to be one way or the other. I got to know which way it is. Well, what if the answer is both? What if the Bible teaches both? Well, because somehow it's both. They seem opposed to each other, but maybe in the mystery of God's salvation, in the awesomeness of God's mind, it actually makes sense and works. Don't try to write a seminary paper on that. They'll reject it. I tried. Now, we think uh, this issue is no big deal today, and, and really, most churches, it isn't. But, you know, have you ever wonder how we got seven Ivy League colleges, first seven colleges in America? First college was formed was Calvinistic. They started to drift a little, so they started another college that was more Calvinistic. And that started to drift a little away from Calvinism. And the third college got started because it wasn't, the other two weren't Calvinistic enough. We, our first seven colleges were created based on Calvinism and their movement away from it. So it has mattered in our history. And then individual salvation. What exactly does it take to be saved? Tell me what I need to do or what I can't do or tell me how this works. Give me the list because I want to make sure I do at least the minimum. Yeah, the minute we ask that question, we're kind of on the wrong path. See, do we want to know God through Jesus Christ? Do we just want to get our ticket punched? Or do we truly want a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Now, salvation's a mystery, but not a complete mystery at all. In fact, if we'll just, you turn about four pages on, further on to 1 Corinthians 2, just literally, I think it's four pages further on in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has the same quote from today's passage. 1 Corinthians 2, starting with 6. 
Yet among the mature, those are people that are more mature in their faith. They've been added a little. They're studying. They're trying to grow. These aren't the super mature. These are just people trying to grow. Yet among the mature, we have imparted wisdom, godly wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, worldly wisdom, or the leaders of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God. See, it's available. That wisdom is available, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And then on to 14. For the natural person, that's the unredeemed, unsaved person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. See, a part of the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't make any sense. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, discerns. Don't, before you think we're judging people, we're discerning things. Discerning all things, but he himself is not judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's basically the same quote as the passage we saw. But we have the mind of Christ. See, if we pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are not only saved, but we are made mature. We're given the wisdom. We're given the the mind of Christ. That's what spiritual formation is. Our spirit being formed, our mind being formed into Christ-likeness. Next two weeks, chapter 12, we're going to go specifically into verse 1 and 2 into that topic exactly. It's all available. And then going back to finish up our passage, back to Romans 11, 36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God originated everything, creation, sustains it, even today, and is the goal, the reason it was all created. We're all good with him creating it. We're all good with some sustaining it, but we go, wait a minute, aren't we the focus of creation? No, we are the creation. He created us for himself. The question is, do we want that relationship or not? He created us for himself. Do we want that relationship. Salvation is no mystery. Salvation is turning from the world to Jesus Christ. Starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. Allowing the Holy Spirit to create in us the mind of Christ. It just takes pursuing Christ each day. And from Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Comes the mystery of salvation. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you. We thank you for not only the offer of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, but we also acknowledge that we can't fully understand it, but through the Holy Spirit, we can come to know you in a far more powerful way. We pray this because you've offered your Son as a way to the peace and truth that you offer to all that know him. It's in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.